Good morning. As we've kind of alluded to a couple of times already, we're starting a new six-week series in the book of Job. It's called Broken and Mended. And um, I, I wanna, want you to know something. When you have, um, when you have a problem, maybe you have a computer issue or your smartphone is on the fritz or whatever, do you know, let me just tell you what I do. Maybe you do the same thing. I go to Google, okay? And I will Google it. Isn't it something that that has become, a website has become a verb, okay? You go and like, I'm going to Google this. And maybe your phone's freezing up or you're having a computer issue or you got something wrong with your car and you t or you have some, you know, some of us do this, maybe you've got the hypochondriac gene, okay? Um, you're going to type in your symptoms into Google and hit enter or WebMD and you're going to try to find what, how, you know, What's going on with me? And isn't it that glorious thing once you, once you hit that search button and however fast your internet is, how long it takes for all the little links to pop up? Would you see five or six or 10 or 20 or 30 links that apply to your certain problem? And you're like, yes, I'm not that weird. Somebody can help me. And there is something to be said about when you put that, those symptoms in, whatever it is, and you see other people that have been through the same thing or are going through the same thing, you're like, yes. We love that. There's something, there's something refreshing to our souls about having, having someone that we've known that, that has gone through something similar than what we're going through. And maybe they might not help, but at least we know we're not crazy. We know we're not out there all alone, and we've had something that seems normal. And, and we see this all the time. There's support groups for many different things that people find great comfort in knowing that someone else has been through the same thing that they have been through. Today, when we go through when we, or the next six weeks, we look through Job. I want you to know something. The God of the Scriptures has given us somebody who has suffered in such a way that we can fight. Look, at least we're not Job, right? We've looked at Job, and so at least we could say, hey, listen, maybe if your sufferings are as big as his, okay? And, and trying to compare your sufferings is never a good idea, by the way. All right, it's just really not. Well, you've suffered this, I've suffered that. It's, it's, like, it's like fishermen trying to compare fish. Everybody's lying, okay? And nobody knows the truth. And so comparing your sufferings doesn't help much. But we all know we've been through them. And Job here, what we have here with this book is God's gift to the sufferer. God's gift to the person who has struggled. We finally, when we go to Job, we know somebody who has, who has been afflicted and who has made it through because of the grace of God. And we can go and we can run. It's, it's, it's better than Google, okay? We can run to it and we can say, here, God, God has given us a way. We can, we can have a meeting with a sufferer who has suffered and who never turned his back on God. And so today, I want you to know something. This is the first truth, and this is, not, this is one of those really inspirational truths, Okay? Bad things will happen to you in your life. Woo, amen, right? Bad things will happen to you. Things will fall apart. Calamity comes on the righteous people and on the unrighteous people. Suffering is a reality for the godly and the ungodly. Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. For God, the Father, makes his son, makes, um, his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. In a fallen world, in a world that's marred by sin, destruction, calamity, suffering, however you want to cause it, is coming your way. You're either in it now, coming out of it, or about to go into it. 
And so when we look at the scriptures, I want us to know we are coming into God's gift for the sufferer, that we have someone who has, has known similar afflictions, if not greater. And we can go here and we can see how God gives us a glimpse into the heavenly realms and how we are to walk when life hurts and we feel like broken, shattered people. And you may not be there right now, but you will go through that eventually. And you know what you need? Prepare for it now so that when it comes, you will not be taken by surprise. And you will know that God is in control and that he has a plan. And it won't just be some platitude that people tell you. It will be a reality that sinks down deep in your soul. So if you would, we're going to start in Job chapter 1 and get the story first off. And the first Job 1, verse 1, going down to verse 5. It was very clear that Job was a righteous, wealthy man who loved God and tried to obey God. Okay, look in verse 1. It says this, There was a man in the land of Uz, not Oz, okay, Uz. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, not Job. And, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So he, had a, he feared the one true God. He turned away from evil. He was in the land of us. Verse 2 tells us this. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. That's a big family, okay? Now, we also know there's a play on, there's a play on uh, these, these numbers. In the Bible, seven and three represent some numbers of completion. And having seven sons and three daughters, he actually had that many. But it's showing he had, like, the perfect family, okay? This was Brady Bunch-esque, okay? If they had, like, multiple screens, you know, remember Brady Bunch? They would all be looking at each other in the different little boxes, like... You know, and the Brady Bunch theme would be playing. It's a great family. He's got a full completion. He's got boys. He's got girls. He's got it all. So there was born to him seven sons and three daughters, and he possessed. Now, we're going to go through a list of livestock, okay? And immediately, unless you're out here, and some of you guys, I know you do this, you farm cattle, and you see this, you're like, when you see cattle or livestock, you see dollar signs, right? Those things are not cheap, I have learned from Mr. Mike over here, Okay. They, it's not cheap to buy these things, but here's how wealth was measured during that time. It was not measured so much in cash on hand or money in the bank. It was managed, it was, wealth was seen and, and, and understood by having a good family and having lots of possessions or lots of livestock because that was the currency of this part of the world. Because this, this story is one of the oldest stories we have in the Bible. This takes place probably, now we're just the story itself takes place in the time of the patriarchs in the, in the first part of Genesis area. It's thousands of years old. And this is how they measured it. And so it says here, he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen. Now, that's, now 500 yoke, that's two of them. So that's 1,000. And 500 female donkeys and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. He's living, what about, when we talk about us, and we talk about that, not Oz. I almost said Oz because I, I didn't put that in my brain. When, when we're talking about us, this is probably in northern Saudi Arabia now. And so he's outside of the people of Israel, but he apparently knows the one true God of Israel. And he has got, he, they call him one of the greatest men of all the people in the East. And not only is he godly, but he's got a lot of stuff God has blessed him materially greatly, okay? This, was, this is a serious account of 
of things. And we don't, we don't see it as impressive. Like, oh, yeah, great. You got a lot of animals. You're probably thinking about the droppings and the amount of time it takes to feed them. And you're like, that doesn't sound like very wealthy. But this time, this man had a ton of cash. If it would be modern times, he'd have a grill and be counting off hundreds like that everywhere he went. He was stacked. And then also it goes on in verse 4, it says, His sons used to go and hold feasts in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them and would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. And Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their heart. Thus Job did this continually. So here's the idea. Not only does he have money, but he has this wonderful family. We talked about this. Seven sons, three daughters, number of completion. It's the Brady Bunch. Not only that, the kids got along, and they would go to each other's houses, and they would have parties. And so Job, after the parties were over, whether these were religious feasts or whatever, we don't know, he would go and make sure that, that the kids are not, they, they were being mindful of God, and he would remind them that sacrifices need to be made for their sins. So he was devout. He had the perfect Brady Bunch family. The kids got along, which is something amazing. For kids to get along is just it's amazing right there, okay? You see that God has blessed Job with money and finances and family. He has got it all. And he, not only that, he, how many rich people are just godless? Because their God has become their money. No, he just thinks about the things of God. Then we go on and we see, we shifts from Job and how, he, how great he is and how perfect his life is. And if we were watching a movie, it would be that when you would show Job's family, it would be that upbeat family movie, okay? Job, look at his wonderful family and his great life and all of his, all of his riches. And look at him, ride his oxen, okay? That would have been how it was. It would be that perfect montage. And then we would have the, 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 the scene would shift, and now we see behind the scenes what's going on in the heavenly realms, which we don't understand, apart from Revelation. In verse 6, it says this, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan. And Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. So here's the idea. God calls a heavenly council and he calls all his messengers to account. And so he calls all the heavenly messengers, those who had not fallen, and he even calls Satan to account, which is quite amazing. You think Sometimes we think that uh, Satan is just completely freelance. He's under, he's under authority even. He can only do what God allows him to do. Now, he is going against the things of God, but he can only do what God allows him to do, and he even calls him to account. So Satan shows up. And God, the Lord asks Satan a question, where have you been? And Satan gives a slimy, slithery answer. I don't know, here and there, everywhere. What's it to you? Kind of idea. If your kids answered you like that, they came home late, you would probably be like, I'm going to call the police. And that's going to be good for you, okay? Because I'm not, <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, I'm just here and there and everywhere. <gasps> mm. 911, there's a kid about to be in trouble. Okay, that's what it would be like. And so Satan, you see his disdain for God. In verse 8 it says, And the Lord said to Satan, Notice who brings up Job. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright, a man who fears God and turns away from evil. First off, it is one thing to get praised by people, but Job is praised by God. 
this is not some kind of charade. God saw through everything of Job, and he sees that he trusts him and loves him. Wow, what a great thing. Just first off, to be uttered by God, have you considered this person? I, that is unbelievable. Think of the faith. Just, just That's free. Verse 9, then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You know, this is where I think we get the hedge of protection thing. And I thought there's a Christian comedian that talks about this. Why only a hedge of protection? Why not a brick wall of protection or like electric fence of protection? But the idea is not supposed to be like shrubbery, okay? The idea is the hedge is got. He said, Satan says, well, why would Job, why wouldn't Job love you? Everything in Job's life is rainbow and roses, perfect family, lots of cash. He definitely would worship you. But you take away this this protection that you have around him and see what he does. And that's what Satan, it's, it's this attempt here. And he says, you have blessed the work of Job's hands and his possessions have increased in the land. And then he says this, but Satan says to God, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Job's just in it for the stuff. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hands. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And so here's what happens. In verses 13 through 19, Job's life, the perfect story, the light, the sunshine day that was Job's life, a huge, massive storm cloud hits. He loses all of his possessions, and his family is crushed in what amounts to a tornado that causes their house to, to, to fall in. Everything is gone. Now, this is the work of Satan, but God had to allow that it be. God did not do any sinning, but he allowed Satan to do this. And so here's Job's reaction in verse 20 of Job chapter 1. Then Job arose, and he tore his robe, and he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground, and he worshiped. And he, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. And then he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so Satan says, if you take away all of his stuff, he won't worship you. And guess what happens? As soon as all of it goes away, he's in deep mourning, okay? Because you've got to be in deep mourning to shave your head, okay? And do all that kind of stuff. I thought about shaving my head as kind of like a visual thing, and then I knew like nobody would notice. I'd be like, oh, you got a haircut, Okay. I, but you think about this. This was a huge sign of grief and mourning. And he fell to the ground. He worshiped God. And he said, blessed be the name of God. You give and you take away. And then it says there's a pronouncement made about, judges, or about Job's, um, his, his, the way he responded. Verse 22, it says, in all this, Job did not charge God with wrong. Then we don't know how long. But now Job is having to deal with the loss of his family and everything that he has. It's all gone. And we get up to verse 2, and we get to see it shifts back to heaven again. Or chapter 2, it shifts back to heaven. Chapter 2, verse 1, says, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, this is, it's almost verbatim what happened the first go-round. 
It's happening again. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord with his same smug, slithery, forked tongue answer. And he says, Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. In verse 3, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, blameless and upright, who fears God and he turns away from evil. And then he says, this is, the, this is the, one of the only changes from the previous section. He says, he holds fast his integrity, although you have incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give up for his life. He just took his stuff. People will give up their stuff, but affect his body, God, and see what he does. And all that a man has, he will give up for his life. Verse 5, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hands. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and he struck Job with loathsome sores. That is quite a vivid picture, loathsome sores. That basically means sores that make you want to die. Have you been in that place where you're in so much pain, you're like, either fix me or kill me. That is what we got here, okay? He says, loathsome sores, okay? So, so, the Lord, and, uh, so Satan went from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. That's pretty much everywhere. And he took a piece of broken pottery in which to scrape himself and he sat in the ashes. So you have a bald, broken, obviously hurting man who is, had just lost everything, his possessions and his family. And then what happens next? His health is struck with these boils that are of immense pain. And he's sitting there with this once rich, wealthy man is now sitting in the ashes in sackcloth with a shaved head covered in sores. And he found a piece of broken pottery to dig his sores. And here's how he responds. Then his wife said to him, insult to injury. His wife said to him, because remember now, she's lost everything too. And she comes up and says, do you still hold fast your integrity? Like, seriously? And then she says, curse God and die. And she's out. Peace. But he said to her, you speak as a foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And so I want you to see here, calamity happens to everyone, even the righteous. There is, a, there is a underlying theme here, and there's an underlying theme in all of our thinking about God that is incorrect. And here's what it is. We think that all bad occurrences happen. All evil comes our way because of sin. That is not the case here, am I right? It's not the case. Because here's why Job is afflicted. It's because he is righteous. Now, that's not all of our sufferings. We'll get to that. Sometimes we do suffer because of our awful decisions. And sometimes we do suffer because of our sin. And sometimes we do suffer for all these many reasons. But we're not going to know why, more than likely. 
But here's what I want to be very clear in saying. Calamity comes on the righteous and the unrighteous. Just to, a lot of people think, if I just get my life right and get into church, then, then man, I, my life's going to be sunshine, lollipops, rainbows, music, okay? That is not the case. Your life actually might get worse. But you will have a firmer foundation and a, a healer of your soul that you would not know otherwise. See, I want you to get, and you will understand, you will understand not how it happens, but you will understand the God who is there in control of it all, and you will know you can trust his heart. And so here's the thing. Bad stuff will happen in your life. In this church, unfortunately, we will have deaths. In this church, unfortunately, we will have people that fall into great sin. In this church, we will have people who fall into illness. In this church, we will, we, it will come to our families. It will come to our church family. It will happen. And we got to know something, that these things happen, but God is in control. This is so it won't knock our socks off. Because there's a whole brand of Christianity that really is biblically illiterate, it seems to tell you if your suffering is a cause of you not having enough faith. Well, that can't be Job's case. Secondly, it says this. If you come to Christ, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that, that, if that's the case, then the reason you're serving God is to gain stuff. And, and the idea here is in the Bible is, no, you come to God to get God. And you might have all this calamity that happens in your life, but know this, don't be knocked off your feet. It will happen. Now, why? Only God knows. But it will happen. So recognize it. Know when, life, when stuff happens, don't be surprised. I can't believe this happened. I can't believe I got this bill. I can't believe I got this disease. I can't believe this. I can't believe that. I try to follow you, God. And, and it may just be because you follow him that he gave you that. Because he is concerned way more about who you are and what he's doing in you than how much stuff you have. And if you don't get this, you, you can miss the boat and miss the reason why you're going through the suffering that you're going through. There is a reason behind it all because there's a God behind it all who is sovereign over the situation. So recognize this, bad things happen. But when bad things happen, I want us to remember something. There's a reason why first responders in the military go through training. I've been watching this show in which this actual combat video of our, of, uh, our soldiers in Afghanistan and Iraq and when, when it's actually like it's, you know, GoPros on their weapons and stuff, it's totally frightening because these guys will be out there doing their job and all of a sudden bullets start raining down. And you think like in a video game, you, get, you can get hit a bunch of times and be okay. You get hit real life with real round, you're going down. And these guys are talking about this. And so they're out there on the front lines of battle, and sure enough, somebody starts shooting. And you think, like, uh, in, on video games and stuff, you know where the, the bullets are coming from. You have no idea because you're watching what the soldier sees. It's right on the end of their gun. And so what happens is the bullets come, and you know what they do? They hit the ground, and they form up into perfect, you know, tactical, you know, tactical columns, and they get ready, and they don't know where the bullets are coming from, but they are ready. You know why? I mean, you know their adrenaline's pumping. Somebody starts shooting a gun at you, your adrenaline will be pumping. Why, what happens that these guys can function and move? It's because they have trained themselves, and they know that it's coming. And so when bad stuff happens, when the incursion with the enemy happens, their training takes over. And just what happens is they do exactly muscle memory comes in. 
So we got this. You're going to be attacked by the enemy. But are you going to be trained and have the muscle memory come in so that you can glorify God and you can survive? Can you recognize this? Bad stuff's going to happen. And then here's two things. You need to remember two things when the bad thing does, when the shooting starts, when the enemy comes. You remember this. Remember, God is sovereign over everything, even our suffering. Let me say that again. God is sovereign over everything, even our suffering. The idea of sovereignty is this. He has it all under his control. Nothing happens without his divine act or his permission. He has it all under control. You say, Matt, where do you get this? Well, I'm going to get it from the text first off, and we see it here. Go back to verse 6. It says, remember, there was a day when, when, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came amongst them. God, God has a, there's a report that happens, and Satan comes. Who is the one who initiates the conversation, God or Satan? It is God. Satan, being the great the ancient accuser, the fallen angel who, who, who duped our first parents in the garden, he has been around, he has been an accuser, he has been the enemy of God and his people from all time. And here's the thing, he has to report. He is not, he is like a dog, like a vicious dog on a leash. And the master lets him go for a while, but when he wants to stop him, he does, and he will completely one day. And so here's the idea. Satan has to report to God, and he, and, and he answers God with that, where have you been? God says, and he says ah, wherever, okay? And then who brings up Job? God brings up Job. He says, have you considered my servant Job and how blameless and upright he is, all right? And then he says, well, remember, well, we have two different situations. The first one, he says, well, you just, you put, a, you put protection around him, and you won't touch him. Who is the one who put the protection up? God. What cannot, what can violate God's shield and protection? Nothing, unless he allows it to be. So he's completely in control of this. And so he says, all right. Satan said, or God says, yes, Satan, you can go and you can afflict him for some, for some time. Right? And then he says that, and he says, but you can't touch his body the first time. The next time the whole situation happens again, Satan has to go before, before God yet again. He, God is the one who mentions Job yet again. And what happens? He says, you can, you, can touch it. you can touch his health, but don't kill him. Who sets the parameters of our suffering? Who causes it? Satan. It's his act. He is a hateful, spiteful, hates God, and hates God's people. He wants to defame God. Satan is the cause, but God is the one who allows the parameters so if you realize that, that nothing comes into your life unless your Father allows it. And we know something about our Father. We see it in Job. We see it in other places. He is good, and he cares about us. Any, that means anything that comes into our life is divinely from him, and it is for our good if we're his believers or his people, and it's for his glory. I want you to get this. Sufferings are either smoke alarms or chisels. Sufferings 
are either smoke alarms or chisels. Because we believe this, that bad things will happen. They happen because of sin. God is not the agent of, or the cause of them, but he holds the parameters, and he allows whatever comes into our life for our good and for his glory. And, and here's the idea. I want you to get this, that, that the, the, the pain and the calamity and the tough stuff that come in our life, they're either one or two things that God's trying to do. They're either a smoke alarm or a chisel. What are smoke alarms? Unfortunately, my dad's, my dad's company um, had been, uh, they, they have an office in Tomball, Texas, and they had to cease operation last week for a while because they had a small fire. And when the fire came, they realized that this, this is a very large building for this corporation that they built. They realized they had zero smoke detectors in the whole building. The fire marshal laid an egg, okay? He was like, smoke detectors, okay? Because that's like big for them, okay? He was hot, okay? And so there were no smoke detectors. They had to shut down business until smoke detectors and some of the violations could be found. What do smoke detectors do? First off, let's put it this way. Are smoke detectors pleasant to listen to? Have you downloaded the best of smoke detectors on your iPod and like rocking out to it right before you go to bed? Oh, this soothes me before bed. Are you rocking that? Okay. The sounds of smoke alarms, okay? That's like that's like a, a company disc you could get with that. You know how like Amazon has related products? It'd be like you got the sounds of smoke alarm next to like like people scratching their nails down chalkboards, okay? Why is it is it supposed to be annoying and in your face and loud? Yes. Why? Because it is going to alert you to danger. Okay? And most people I know don't ignore screeching fire alarms. <laughs> Middle of the night, you're jumping up, you're disoriented, you're trying to get out of the house, you're, where's it coming from? What am I going to do? I want you to know something. For those who do not know God, sufferings are like smoke alarms. They are signs and symbols and loud screeches that show this world is broken, you are broken, you have violated God's law, and you need to turn to God from your sins. Sufferings show us, and how many people after great sorrow and great things in their life come looking for God. Suffering for the unbeliever is a smoke alarm. Beep, 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 beep. Danger is imminent. For, for the believer, it is a chisel. You know what I mean by that? Let's go look at this kind of a sculpture analogy here. Have you seen people do eye sculptures before? Those are fantastic. I can't even, my mind can't even wrap my head around the fact that somebody sees a block of ice and is like, you know what I can make out of that? A bird, <laughs> a cowboy, I don't know, whatever party you're at. Okay, a swan. And somebody, what do they do? They get it, most of the time it starts with a chainsaw, and then at the very end, what do they do? They take a chisel and a hammer, and they get off the edges to make it look into to the form in which they want it to. I want you to know this. The end of the book, when we see this, all of Job's sufferings will result in him being mended but it really results in the fact that he gets to have a face-to-face -face conversation with God, and God changes him. 
want you to know something about the suffering that you go through. It's a very biblical idea that suffering, that, that, that it will come to you in this life. Just recognize that and be prepared for it. But when it does, your muscle memory should kick in and know this, that God is sovereign. He is in control of your sufferings. He has it in his hands. He doesn't allow anything into your life that he does not purpose for something. For you, if you're an unbeliever, if you have not known, not repented of your sins and trusted Christ, what is happening here? It's a smoke alarm saying you need a worse calamity, an eternal calamity is coming to you if you don't repent and believe. For us who are believers, it is a chisel where he is working out of us the sin and the bad behaviors and the, and the wrong motivations and a heart that doesn't love, the, love him as much. Because what's going to happen is Satan thinks that Job is a gold digger. What do you think about when you think about a gold digger? You think about a young, attractive man or woman who has found a less attractive, older, yet rich man or woman in which to exploit through a relationship, okay? You've seen this. How many times do you love to see that when you got this, like, 75-year-old gargoyle sitting there with a beautiful 25-year-old lady? Everybody's like, oh, that's great. We found love. What is your initial thought? Okay, I'm getting into your deep recesses here. I understand. I think that I need to pray for them, you liars. Okay? You're thinking, like, oh, she must be in that for the money. Or vice versa, you got some young guy over there like flexing for a lady, for a, for a nice grandma, okay? And you're like, what is going on here? And you, then you realize, oh, they're rich. Of course. Well, isn't that exactly what Satan says of Job? Job? is a gold digger, and you're just a sugar daddy, and that is the only reason he loves you. Now, that's not exactly what they said. What is it? Let's, let's read what the Scripture says. And, Satan, and, and so we got this. And, and the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is, this, is in verse one, this is in chapter 1 the first time. And it says this in verse 8. It says, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then what is Satan's response? And Satan answered the Lord, and he said, Does Job fear God for no reason? He has no reason to fear you. All you do is give him things. Verse 10, have you not put a hedge around him, his house, and all he has on every side? You have blessed him. The work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. If you take away his stuff, he will leave you. Just like we think about the situation when that pretty young thing who's married to the 75-year-old guy, when the cash runs out, you think she's hanging around? No, she gone. Just like when when the when the the, the real rip twenty five year old finds out that the grandmother is out of money, he is gone too. He ain't in it for love. He's in it for the cash, and that's exactly what Satan says about 
Job and God's relationship. He says, you take away his stuff. You take away his family. You take away his possessions. You take away his health. He will curse you to your face. I want you to just sink that in for a moment. Are you seeking God for material blessings? Most of us in here would probably say no, but there is a whole brand out there that's, that, that's the reason they seek God. I want you to know something. The reason that God take, gives and takes away is he wants us to know what real treasure is. And the real treasure, the greatest treasure, the biggest treasure is knowing him. And I know we can think, man, this seems difficult that God would allow this just to show his glory. But I want you to think on the other, other hand, if Job knew any of this, and we have no record that he does, do you know how honored he would be that God chose him to display how great he is and to shut the accuser's mouth and to show him as a greater treasure than everything? I want you to get something. We don't come to God to get stuff. That's, a, that's, that's small. We don't come to God even to get heaven. The glory of heaven is not the streets of gold that we always sing about, which will be there. And it's not the mansions or mansion, depending on your interpretation of certain verses. No. Do you know what the glory of heaven is? You see in the book of Revelation, there is no sun in the new heavens and the new earth. Do you know why? Because the Lamb of God is the Son. There is something better for you than cash and health, although those things are nice. There is something better out there than anything that you can buy, and God is showing Job that, and he is displaying to Satan how great of a treasure he is to Job in this time. God is unbelievably valuable, inestimably valuable. He is unparalleled in his value. And he and I, I would venture to say that all that Job went through, if he understood, which we have no idea that he understood this, that if he knew that all that he was suffering was to bring glory to that God whom he loved and whom he saw to be so glorious, he would found it to be an honor to have gone through what he's gone through. Because there's greater things in this world than stuff. And even our health. And that's just, this, this is just free. When we pray, a lot, a lot of times, especially when we're in situations we just pray for health concerns, that's not wrong. But what if we prayed for something greater? And what, what I mean is that, yes, healing you can pray for that, fine. But what if we pray that God would use whatever circumstances they, they're in to get glory, to show how great he is, and for people to be brought closer to him? Maybe we just need to turn our, our, our attention and our gaze. Our perspective is small, right? Get this. When you come to suffering, remember this. Your perspective is so small. Your perspective is so small, it's like this. When we complain about our situation to God, it's like, God, why would you bring this? It's like, it's like a kindergartner trying to teach physics to a man who has a PhD in it. 
hey, God, I don't think this is right. Hey, physics guy, I don't think that gravity works that way. Because when I throw an apple in the air, I mean, could you imagine? I don't think you're right about black holes. I'm a kindergartner. It's like, try, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like my son Judson, who's a smart kid, but trying to tell me about calculus. Even if somebody smart was trying to tell me about calculus, I couldn't get it. But you, got, you get the idea. We don't see the whole perspective. Job doesn't know what's going on in heaven. Job doesn't know the reasons why. We don't know the reasons why. But we do know we've been given a glimpse into heaven's eyesight through the revelation of Scripture. And our, our perspective is small. So when we come to God, so many times we get so bitter and angry. Why would you do this? And the, 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 the answer is you might not be able to understand why. And then it'd just be this. Do you, if you're saying why, are you accusing God of so many things? Do you have it all figured out? Do you know what's going on in the heavenly realms? Do you know what's going on in other parts of the country? Do you have any perspective on how these events are going to transpire in your life? The answer is absolutely stinking not. And we want to call, we want to just, God, how could you? How could you? How could you? And the answer is, right now, for some of us, as we may not know, is you don't know what's going on. 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 Our perspective is small. His perspective is immense. And I want you to get this, because this is deep. We have been given great grace, though. And here's where the great grace comes. Job never saw the reason for his sufferings. But God gives us a glimpse into heaven through his revelation in Scripture and through his son, Jesus Christ, of why sufferings come our way. And it is for our good that we can look back and say, we don't, it's not always because we've sinned. Sometimes it may be, but sometimes it's for God's glory. All the time it's for God's glory. And sometimes God may just be using us and he may be chiseling away and making us more like him. Or he may be bringing glory to himself and shutting up the mouth of the accuser by bringing us through this thing and seeing our faith prevail. Faith that he given us that, and he keeps going, but faith that we also cling to him with. And so he, God may be doing stuff you don't understand. Remember, your perspective is small. I want you to get this, though. The fact that we have the revelation of Scripture, we have this, that we get a peek into heaven that Job didn't get to see, and the fact that we got to peek into heaven when heaven came to earth in Jesus Christ, we can understand and we have grace to make it through these times. I want to get this. This is Matthew 16, verse 21. Here's what happened. Peter confesses, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then right after that happens... After his great confession, and God, Jesus says, he's my rock, I'm going to build my church on him. And verse, uh, just a few verses later, he calls him Satan. Matthew 16, 21 says this, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and what? Suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. You know something, Job was a human, he did sin. He didn't sin in the way he responded to God, but he was obviously a person and he sinned. And he suffered, but he wasn't completely innocent. He was innocent in the sense that his, his suffering was not brought on by anything he directly did. And he did love God, okay? But I want you to know something. Jesus never sinned. Jesus didn't deserve any suffering. But he was, as the book of Isaiah calls him, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he's telling Peter, he said, Peter makes the right, he sees Jesus and he understands, you are God's Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. And then he begins to teach that 
as the Messiah, that he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and then he's going to be killed on the third day and raised. And Peter is horrified that Jesus would have to go through that. Verse 22 says of Matthew 16, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Remember, not a good thing to rebuke Jesus, okay, or God. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from me, Lord, this will never happen. You will never suffer. And the Son of God responds, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Calamity will come to every one of us. We have to remember when it does, muscle memory, that everything that comes to us is under God, even our suffering is under the sovereign, controlled hand of God. When that happens, we also must remember because we have that temptation to become angry, bitter, and to not and to, to, to get angry because we don't understand, because we don't have eternal perspective, we will never will. We become angry about it. And we get bitter, but we have to keep in our our perspective, we have to keep in our mind and our memory, our perspective is so small. And then we need to remember the grace of God. The grace of God is this. Job didn't get a glimpse of why he suffered, but we do because we have the scriptures. Not only that. God meets us in our suffering because he sent the one who should never suffer, his own son Jesus, to suffer on our behalf so that we might have life and knowledge of God. Peter didn't understand why Jesus had to suffer, did he? Peter rebuked Jesus. Why would you suffer? You're God's son. Why? If Jesus never suffered, we could not have life and we could not know God. He didn't understand, but Jesus did. And here's the idea. You may not understand your suffering and your pain, but God does. And he is working for your good and for his glory. He's working for your good and for your glory. Your perspective is small, and you don't know why it came. You don't know why it hurt so bad. You don't know why you would have to be in this situation. You don't know why God would take this. You don't know why God would take that. You don't know why God would give you this disease. You don't know why you're suffering here. You don't know why this season of depression has come upon you. You don't know why. You just don't feel like moving one inch because you have been broken so deeply. You don't understand why this would happen to you because you are trying to follow God. You love him. You have known his redemption. You have seen his son. You are trying to serve him, and you do not understand why it would come. Friends, you may never understand. Your perspective is too small. My perspective is too small. But I want you to know something. The glimpses we have of the God of the Scripture who sent his own son to suffer, who didn't deserve it at all, has purchased for us an eternal weight of glory that is far greater than any suffering that we could go through now. I want you to know something. He is trying to pry our greedy hands off of our stuff and our health, and he's pulling back our fingers to give us a better possession, and that is him. What I want us to do today, we're going to end our service with communion, but let's just take a moment. Let's bow before God, and you might be bringing a hurt here that is so heavy 
And I want you to know, I don't know why you're going through that. You may someday figure it out. You may not. But I want you just to say, God, I trust you in this moment. And we're going to celebrate this symbol of the communion of the God who suffered for us. And we're going to do it in faith, knowing that his suffering was enough and that he has it under control. God, grant faith to your broken people. Be with, be with us in the deep, dark nights. Help us to trust your control and your sovereignty. Help us realize our perspective is small. And God, help us remember your grace to us that you suffered. You were a man of sorrows and we can be and you did it in a way we didn't understand, but you did it for our good and for your glory. Help the broken. Prepare those who are heading for tough times. Let us eat the supper in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.